If you got your Bibles, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, um, we're going to read verses 1 and verse 2 this morning to start us out. And if you got it and when you're ready, if you wouldn't mind just standing to your feet just so I know you're ready to go into the Word this morning. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. I'm using the English Standard Version. This is what the Bible says. Now faith is the assurance, or your Bible might say substance, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, or some Bibles will say the proof. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, asking that you would just pour out your spirit and your word today. Your word says that when you speak, your word that goes out never returns void. And I ask, Lord, today that you would plant seeds in our heart, that you would water it and let it grow and produce a fruit in our life. God, that we may walk in newness of life and freshness of life because of your word today. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. This... uh, particular chapter of the Bible is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, because most of this chapter is account after account of great works of faith of the people of God. And it starts out this chapter by defining faith for us. Now, some translations of the Bible use different words uh, in that verse 1. Uh, some will say it is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Uh, some translations say it is the reality of things hoped for and the proof of things not seen. I, I, I particularly like this translation's reading of it. It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I think it's a little more plain uh, and easy to understand in my own opinion. Uh, but when you begin to study it, uh, it, it all really comes down to meaning the same thing thing. But before we talk about what faith is, I need us to understand today what faith is not. Faith is not wishful thinking or positive feelings about something. That, I think sometimes when we, when we talk about faith and we say, well, I got faith about this, and, and you, you begin to define it in a way that you discuss it where you just have a positive feeling about the outcome of a situation. There's nothing wrong with having a positive feeling about a situation's outcome, but that is not faith. That would be hope. And the Bible's already said that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's not just that we have a positive feeling about it, but we have an assurance that the positive outcome is the result, that God's will will be done. In faith, so when we talk about faith, it, it is not this this hope and, and this this just positive feeling of oh I've got faith that everything's going to be all right, and and we say that, but sometimes what we are really meaning is that I've got a good positive feeling about this situation. That is hope. That is not faith, and, and it is important to understand the difference. Real faith, like we said, it is the assurance and conviction of things hoped for and things not seen. It is essentially a settled confidence that something God has said will come to pass. It is, it is confident trust in the eternal, all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy God who has proved 
himself for generations and generations. That is the definition of biblical faith. It is not just a hopeful feeling. It is an understanding that when God says something, it will happen. It is a guarantee of God's word. See, I know this, this can be a little, little hard sometimes to, to set the line between faith and hope, but, but we got to understand that it's not just us feeling things and hoping for things, but rather faith is the driving force of Christianity. Faith says, if God said it, it is true, therefore I live by it. It creates an assurance and builds a conviction within us that I have a conviction about what God has said, therefore I live by what God has said. I hope you're following me this morning. And we need to understand that we are not living on a blind faith. I think that's one of the biggest things we we hear a lot about when we talk about Christian faith is that oh you live we 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 talk about people will question us and say what evidence do you have about it and we say well that's why it's called faith that it, I understand the statement but it is not a correct statement you see our faith really truly does have substance to it our faith is not just us hoping that God is real and just having a feeling like God might be real. But there is historical, scientific, and archaeological evidence, excuse me, for the existence and proof of God. I don't have time to dive into all of those things in detail, but uh, in days past, I've done a Sunday school series before, and, and I will eventually maybe do something like that again when, when it dives into the details of the history and the findings of biblical uh, discoveries. Uh, for example, one thing that they have discovered is the tomb of Joseph, the guy that had the coat of many colors. Uh, he was, they found a tomb that was in the shape of a pyramid, but it contained a Hebrew person in it, which at that period of time, did not happen. It was obvious that this Hebrew was high and elevated in his position. They also found 11 other tombs next to him in the same manner, but smaller than his, signifying that those were his family members. And when they opened up this this tomb, they found the coffin, and on the coffin was depicted a coat And guess what that coat showed? Many different colors. I have books with these photos in it if you'd like to see it. They also have found evidence and artifacts that have famous names written on them. Names that you know like Goliath was written on pottery to give honor to him as he was the champion of the Philistines. King David has been found written on them. They found evidence of Nebuchadnezzar and and other people that have existed throughout Scripture. These are not just little characters that that we read cute little stories and we pull lessons from for us to live by. These were real, breathing, living beings on this earth that lived and died, and some lived by faith and 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 
alignment with God and others lived in opposition to God and his people. They, they found evidence um, of the flood of Noah. There are, there are uh, many researchers who have done um, submarine exploration and have found that at some point in time, the, the land changed from how it was known at one point. And when they did these dives, they found underwater ancient shorelines where it used to be a shoreline, but now it's underwater. And every major religion in the world tells a story of a great flood at some point. I don't think that is any coincidence. They have found evidence that this has actually happened. Not only that, but even when we step into the New Testament, for example, there are, over, there are 500 eyewitnesses that actually saw Jesus resurrected with their own eyes after the crucifixion. The Bible says he revealed himself, and over 500 people saw him in person. There is no other historical account of any person that has as much supporting evidence as there is to back up the existence of Jesus. The Bible is not the only thing that talks about Jesus. There are many, many secular writings that describe that other people wrote about at this time. You've got to understand that there are other historical documents other than the Bible. And there are other secular people who just wrote stories down about there was this man, Jesus, that was in this town talking about this in the kingdom of heaven. There's other writings that reference Jesus in the Old Testament or in the New Testament and in that time period. There, there's so much that proves that what we believe is a real thing. We don't just show up in church one day and think and, and read the Scripture and say, well, that sounds nice. I think that might just be true, and I'm going to go ahead and believe that. We don't believe just because. We believe because there is solid, concrete evidence, and the things that we know in the Word of God and have been taught and passed down to us have been being passed down for generations upon generations. There are thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that tell the story of Jesus that have been passed down throughout history that led us to the Bible that we have today. These were eyewitness people who actually talked with disciples and have talked to the apostles that have written things and have gone down through a lineage that have led to us today. I, I just want you to understand today that our faith is something built on a foundation of truth. Well, when we say we believe what we believe... And we have this assurance and a conviction about God and his existence. This isn't a willy-nilly just because casual belief. There is true foundation and true evidence of these things. And it's powerful. When you look at the works of God throughout history... Why, why does all this matter this morning? Because we serve a God that does not change. And I need us to understand today that these people, and we're going to talk about some of them here in just a moment, but I needed to introduce you to this idea of faith and it being on a solid foundation because we need to understand today that the God who acted and moved and worked in the Old Testament and the stories that we read in the Scripture still moves and works today. 
and the way that he moves and works and the truth and reality about God and his existence should impact us in a way that we live our life accordingly. Hebrews, like I said, is is a chapter of the Bible that gives account after account of great acts of faith. Uh, One of the very I'm not going to do all of them this morning uh, because we would be here for weeks. But I want to highlight some things that because of faith we should be doing. The one of the first things we should be doing because of our faith is we should worship like Abel. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In other words, if you remember this story, Cain killed his brother Abel because God approved of Abel's worship more than he did Cain's worship. And we should be offering, like what the Bible says, a more acceptable sacrifice. Abel gave the very best that he had to offer God in his worship. Why? Because Abel had an assurance and conviction about the person of God and the reality of God. Abel understood who God is. And he said, because of who you are, God, I'm going to give you the very best that I have to offer because of the faith that he had. How many of us can honestly and truly say that every time we enter into a time of worship towards God that we really give him our very best? That that is if we're honest, a reality that many of us don't want to face. There are many Sunday mornings when we wake up and we're like, I just don't feel like going to church today. It's such a beautiful day out. Why don't I just sit here on my back porch and just enjoy the sunshine, drink my coffee, and just relax? That's tempting. If we're going to be honest, well, why, why do I have to go and... I've had such a hard week. I've had so much going on. I'm so tired. I walk into the house of God and I just, I can't lift my hands this morning. I'm just so tired. I can't sing the song. I don't even know the song. They sing these songs I don't know, I don't understand. So I'm just going to sit here and just wait for them to do something I do know. That's not unique to anybody. That's true across the board of the, the capital C church. Everywhere in this nation and all, I'm sure other parts of the world this morning, people walked into church feeling that same way. I don't feel like it. I don't know this song. Why are the lights like they are? Why, why, why is it so cold in here? Why is it too warm in here? Why? And, and we come up with all these reasons to not give God our best when the only reason we really should need is the reality of who God is. Abel saw that reality, and because he had that assurance and conviction about God, that faith about who God is, he said, I have to give him my best. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to search it out. You know, we talk about 
and, and read about animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And when you have a flock of sheep and you got to go pick your sacrificial lamb, it's supposed to be the best, the healthiest, without any blemish. That isn't just something you happen to stumble upon in your flock. You have to go searching for it. You have to dig for it. So many times we just give God whatever we happen to stumble upon that says, oh, that looks good enough. And then we even complain about that. Actually, if you read in Malachi, God actually rebukes his people, says, you give me the the runt of the litter, you give me those that are blemished, and then you still have the nerve to complain about it. That it's such such an effort. And you ain't even given your best. Our faith should lead us to worship like Abel and give God the very best sacrifice of praise that we can give him. And sometimes it requires us to dig deep and to search our heart to find that best. Sometimes we have to shift our mindset on a Sunday or really any day of the week because worship is not just a Sunday morning thing but we should by faith worship and worship accordingly to who God is. The next one I want to highlight is in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We need to learn how to reverence like Noah. We don't reverence God like we should. When God says something, he is serious about it. And we should take his word as a serious word. If Noah would not have taken God seriously, and and Hebrews 4 says... Or, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, 7 says that it was in reverent fear that he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And it was about events that have never been seen. Up to this point, it didn't really rain on the earth. There was dew that watered the plants of the earth. So God says, I'm going to send a flood. they they never seen a flood. They don't know what a, a flood really truly looks like. But Noah had an assurance and a conviction about the things that had not been seen and said, if God says this is going to happen, I better take it seriously and take it to heart and I better walk in obedience and in reverence because if God said it, it's going to happen. We need to reverence God like Noah did. We take God too lightly at his word. We take his word too casually. We don't take it serious and we, and we compromise on it. We, we say things like, well, did he really mean that? Or, you know, I don't think God really uh, meant it at this level of severity or seriousness when he said it. it when God says something, he, he says what he means and he means what he says. And Noah understood that. 
and by faith because of his assurance and conviction about God. He took him seriously about his word. In Hebrews 11, 8-10, it tells us another story or another account of faith. It says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We need to learn how to obey like Abraham. I I love this part of the verse, in verse 8, where it says, And he went out not knowing where he was going. God said, go out to this land that I'm going to reveal to you at a later time. So he said, head in this general direction, and when you get there, I'll let you know. We want the whole complete picture before we will even open our front door to go in the direction God is trying to send us in. He had no idea where this journey would take him and where he would end up, but God said go, so he went. He didn't question it. He didn't wait for God to give other direction or another step. He didn't even ask for it. He just said, okay, God, you said go, I'm going to go. And he just trusted that God was going to lead him in the right direction and to the right place. There are times in your life God will give you a direction and he will give you something to do in your life and it will not make a whole lot of sense and it won't be the whole picture. He's just going to say, go here. And you don't even know what you're going to do when you get there. But he didn't ask you or tell you to figure that part out. He'll let you know when you get there. But what I've learned is that if we can't be obedient with the first step, he isn't going to give us the second step. We want the whole road map. We want to see the destination. We want to know where we're heading. And sometimes God just says, nope, just go in this direction. And when you get to where you need to be, I'll let you know. And, and I'll reveal it to you. But the, what I've learned is that God doesn't always tell us everything because if he told us everything up front, we would mess it up. He, in fact, he told his disciples at one point, he says, there are many things I, want, I need to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, I can't tell you all of it because if I told you, it would be too much for you to carry. It'd be too much information. When Jesus called his disciples to come and follow him, he didn't say, hey, come follow me. You're not going to have any money. People are going to hate you. They're going to actually kill you. Some of you are going to die horrible, painful deaths just because you're following me. And uh, that, this is all of it. Because if he would have started out the journey like that, they would have said, no thanks, I'll stick to fishing. They said, no, I think I'll just keep collecting taxes. I think I'll just stay where I'm at because that does not sound like something I want. He didn't give them the whole thing at first, but they obeyed. Abraham obeyed without having the whole thing in front of him. Abraham also gets a secondary account 
uh, listed in this scripture in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19 says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is a very uh, wonderful Sunday school story that's really great for children. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son like he would a lamb. And Abraham packs his son up, takes him to the altar. And as he's getting ready to make the sacrifice, God stops him. And has provided for him a ram in the thicket. He tested Abraham's obedience. And Abraham, I love how it talks about this, because Abraham, Abraham knew that Isaac was the promised son that he promised him and Sarah. And he still, even though this is what God promised him, he was still willing to sacrifice because he had in his heart, this is what God promised me, therefore one way or the other, God is going to stick to his word. Even if it means I do follow through with the sacrifice, and it just means God's got to raise him up from the dead. That is a level of obedience that I think we all would say, no thanks, I I can't do that, if we're going to be real with ourselves today. That is a type of obedience that faith should lead us to. A faith or an obedience to where we don't question when God says do something, we just do it. I try to live that way, but there are times where I'm like, God, are you sure this is what you want to happen? Are you sure? Because I don't know that I can do this. And you see, the thing is, is God doesn't really ask us to do anything other than obey. That, that, that's really, like, if you want to summarize the requirements we have, it's obedience. The specifics of those obedience and how our obedience... See, we look at, when God says to do something, we try to figure out how we are going to produce the result. Well, God says, move here and do this and accept this and do that. And we're like, well, how am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to do this? He, I, he, he says, I don't ask you to figure that part out. He goes, if you just would obey me, I'll take care of the rest. I'll, if it's my will, it's my bill. But we don't want to obey because we think that obedience means we are responsible for what is the result of that obedience. When really our only responsibility is to just move when God says move, jump when God says jump, and He takes care of the result of the obedience. Getting towards the end, Hebrews eleven twenty four through twenty six 
It says, by faith Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. <clears throat> he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We need to learn how to stand firm and be bold like Moses was in faith. Especially in the day and age we're living in. You will be mistreated for having faith in God. There's no doubt about that. Because at some point, our faith in God is going to contradict the world. Moses had faith in God and it contradicted Egypt. And he was mistreated. Some translations say he chose to suffer with his people. That, that is heavy stuff. Especially when you look at how the Hebrew slaves were treated at that period of time. We don't have to experience that kind of mistreatment, but there are people who are going to hate us, abandon us, walk away from us. And as the world progresses further and further away from God, the hate towards Christ and the truth is going to grow stronger. And if we really truly have the faith that we say we have, are we going to be able to stand in faith and stand firm like Moses did in Egypt? Because like Hebrews tells us, he said the wealth of Christ and the inheritance of Christ was so much greater than the riches and treasures of Egypt. And for that reason, because he had faith about that promise, about that guarantee, and about who God is, he was able to say, listen, there's something greater than all of this, and I'm going to choose to cling to that rather than this mess over here. We see every day churches sliding away from the truth because they don't want to be mistreated. They don't want to deal with the heat. They don't want to deal with the mob of people who are progressive or woke, whatever you want to call it, and have corrupted the Word of God and His truth and demand that everyone else do the same. So instead of standing firm on it and just accepting the mistreatment and suffering, they cave to it. And they decide that the treasures of Egypt, so to speak, are greater than the wealth that is Christ. Finally, we come to the very end of Hebrews 11. And there are so many accounts in the Old Testament of different people of faith. And he gets to the end where he kind of summarizes it and just is making general blanket statements in Hebrews. And towards the end, he begins to say in verses 35 through 38, he says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The final thing today that I want you to understand our faith should lead us to do is to endure. It says right there in verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, understanding that even though I'm going to die in this torture and in this prison, there is going to come a time of resurrection where I will step into a kingdom of heaven knowing that there is a better life on the other side of this if I just hang tight and I endure what I'm enduring right now. There is so much greater. The Bible says, Paul writes, and he tells us that the sufferings of this present time can't even be compared to the glory that is waiting to be revealed to us. You will suffer on this earth, but if we really truly have faith... We should endure the suffering, knowing that this pain and suffering is only temporary, but the glory of God and his peace in heaven is eternal. And it's worth it in the end. So with all of this, going into Hebrews 12.1, it makes a simple statement. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words... Just like we just went through in that entire chapter 11, just like all of them, they worshipped by faith, they reverenced, they, they obeyed, they endured, they stood firm. So just like they did all of those things, we also should do the same. Has anybody ever been to a, a real Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame? Has anybody ever watched an award show or anything at any point in any time of your childhood or whenever, and you said, man, I just want to be like them someday. Maybe it wasn't even a Hall of Fame. You just had a, a, an athlete or a musician or, or somebody you looked up to, and you said, I just, or maybe a family member, and it says, I just want to be like them someday. And so you, you maybe even dressed like them. You started talking like them. You said, well, they drink coffee, so I'm going to drink coffee. They eat hot dogs, I'm going to eat hot dogs. They, like you changed who you were because of the influence that somebody had on you. Has anybody ever had somebody like that? in their life, that influenced you to where you made changes in your life. I hope I'm not the only one this morning, but there are people who have impacted me in my life to where I wanted to be like them, so I started dressing like them. I started going to the places that I wanted to spend all of my time with them. This is what, how we should be viewing these people. They were not perfect people. we got to understand that. They, Moses was a murderer. King David was an adulterer. Noah was a drunkard. They all had their flaws. And we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about faith. We're, we're saying by faith we're going to do everything that we can to obey God and to worship and to stand firm, to endure, to be obedient 
and to reverence God. Because although they were imperfect because of their faith, God called them righteous. And they were saved through their faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we will never do anything that is acceptable to God. Our faith drives us in that direction and action. And James tells us that even the demons believe. But what sets us apart, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm giving you the BSV as we close. What sets us apart is that our faith drives us into works. It's easy to just believe God exists, but true faith produces works. The testing of our faith is what we do because of our faith. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?